When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm flying home by Perisic! It's Eric Dyer. Bang! Here's Lucas Moura. Oh, they did it! What a strike by Bissouma. Audius flying it again and wins it. Great work from Romero. What a save by Lloris. Jed Spence. Oh! Off the ball, Richard Olesen! Bulgari Kulisewski! The strike at Gasson! Scores! Crossing Kane! Can you truly believe this? Hello and welcome to The Last Word on Spurs. We hope you're keeping very, very safe and well. Thank you ever so much for joining us. It is the afternoon of the evening from before, if that quite makes sense. We are recording day after the Manchester City game. And yeah, back with yet another Last Word on Spurs special to bring to you. Um, if you're listening to the show for the first time, you can find us on iTunes. We're on Spotify, across all major audio platforms. We are, of course, on Twitter at Last Word on Spurs. We're on Facebook and Instagram too. And before we introduce our special guest joining us for this one, delighted to have her back alongside me. I've got Mr. Lee McQueen. Macca, was it been eight, nine hours since I've last saw you? Don't <laughs> tell everyone that, Rick. People are starting to be Macca, I've seen you. Well, I've seen you more than I see my wife right now. I think she's more delighted That's than, than Hello. me. Hello. It was weird, actually. I see uh, I see the press conference with Antonio Conte. I don't know, Dan, if you, if you, if you were there today on that. But uh, he, he rolled up in the morning. It was so weird. To, we only played last night and we've got a press conference already. It's, it's, it's very strange. So we feel a little bit like that this afternoon. But uh, absolutely delighted to be back talking oh, the troubles that we've got at Tottenham. Let's be honest, there's a lot of unrest and there's a lot of stuff going on with the club right now. Um, and we need we need three points. There's definitely, we need three points on uh, on Monday. And we also need some new faces coming into the football club in terms of players. So... Let's see. Uh, let's see what we can uh, do. But I'm very excited to have Dan on with us today. Yeah, absolutely. Vass was with us last night. I was in the comments there, and Vass probably thinks we've stayed on for the last nine hours. We haven't, Vass. I promise you, we've had some form of sleep. <laughs> yeah, I know one man who hasn't had much sleep. Bringing him back on, he was in Manchester last night. It's very, very late. Made his journey back this morning. We've got the brilliant Dan Kilpatrick from the Evening Standard. Dan, love to have you back on last one on Spurs. Quiet week, Dan. <laughs> you could say that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think. A shout out to anyone who's listening now because to have the energy to still be consuming Spurs content on a Friday afternoon after last night ahead of a free weekend where I think we can kind of all do with a weekend away from Spurs. I think it's a blessing that it's a Monday night game for a number of reasons. So yeah, fair play to anyone who's uh, 
he's still uh, getting their fix. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been a pretty draining week, and I think for everyone kind of connected with Spurs, be it supporter or reporter, uh, yeah, I think um, it's a pretty glum time to be following the club at the moment. And as Lee says, yeah, we could do some some good news on Monday night and in the transfer market in the next twelve days. Yeah, absolutely. As I said, always. I mean, it feels at the moment. Where do you even start with what's going on at the football club? You know, from the board to the manager to the players, to the window. It just feels like at the moment, invariably when we're doing our post-match analysis shows, that the shows are just being completely derailed by just what is going on in and around the football club at the moment, which is why, Dan, it's nice to have you on to maybe just understand a little bit deeper as to what's been happening. I mean, like I said, Dan, I made that joke. It's been a quiet week for you. It probably has been the complete polar opposite. It's, um, I think it's a testing week for everybody around the football club, fans, uh, journalists, um, anybody that's connected to the football club right now. It is really, really tough. I think we are, we can't forget that, you know, ultimately, we all do want the same thing. We all want the club to be successful. We maybe, all of us have a different view as to how we can be successful. But ultimately, that is what we all want. I think it's important that message does not get lost at all whatsoever. So, Dan, I know, obviously, this week, um, or oh, maybe in the previous couple of weeks, you wrote a couple of articles that have stirred, seemed to have stirred some headlines. So, just to maybe give you the opportunity, Dan, to maybe take the floor and maybe give us a bit of a viewpoint from your end as to um, those articles, how they've been received and what you'd like to say on them, maybe to begin with. Yeah, I mean, so I, you know, to be clear, I, I chatted to you last night and I said, yeah, I, I'm umming and ahhing about whether to address it because you know, people may or may not know. Uh, I wrote a piece um, earlier in the week. Um, it was about what Conte and Spurs should do or what I believe they should do in order to make the partnership work. And... One paragraph in particular um, really angered a lot of people when I said Conte should compromise on transfer targets. Well, I said Conte would have to compromise on some transfer targets was the way I put it. And, and then to paraphrase what I wrote, I also said he needed to kind of accept he was at a top club and stop talking Spurs down. Um, and I had a lot of comments um, about this piece. Uh, people saying I was kind of parroting club lines, people saying I was a shill for, for Enic, people saying I was being employed by Daniel Levy. There was even one kind of brave blogger, anonymous blogger, obviously, who said I was a messenger for Levy and that I was you know, insinuated that I was being paid by the club. Um, and I had a lot of comments. I had a lot of emails, which I don't normally get. So I was I was quite taken aback. You know, I don't, I don't mind saying I was, I was pretty surprised. I stand by the, the piece and, and everything I wrote. Um and I'm not sure where to start really with this. I suppose a good place to start is, is to say that I think a lot of the people kind of saying that myself and other reporters are parroting club lines and, and being paid by the club. You know, I think they probably think they're being very clever, but actually this betrays a serious misunderstanding about our jobs and, and also how the club and most clubs operate. I mean, I, I don't know any clubs that, kind of actively brief against their own manager, just as a starting point. I mean, I think Spurs don't brief against their manager for the same reason that a janitor wouldn't shit on the floor where they work, because the club would then have a mess of their own making, which they'd have to clean up. So, so this doesn't tend to, to happen. And in seven years covering Spurs, you know, the club's never picked up the phone to me and, and said, oh, I've got a bit of, you know, we need to tell you something. Um about the manager or, you know, so-and-so is not happy. It, it just doesn't happen. Um, of course, you have relationships with these people. Sometimes 
you'll you'll you know they'll tell you something a, a nugget of information you might use that in your reporting or you might um you know save it um you know, for for future pieces or, or whatever but you know it's it just doesn't happen that, that a club will, will kind of um brief you uh against their, their own employees um so I think you know that was the accusation. P- people might also say, well, um, you know, you, you're just writing what the club want to hear because you want to stay in their favour and you want access, um, which is a more logical argument. Um, but I mean, again, I, w- I would kind of ask, what you know, what access? I mean, the, the last kind of exclusive interview I did with the club was Lloris. Um, and to give you an idea of when that was, it was when Spurs were still unbeaten under Nuno. Um, so it's not as if the club are kind of managed the football club, like well, yeah, it, it's, it's easy to forget. Um, and you yeah, most yeah. of the stuff I, I you know, not, that's not to say the club are, are, are bad with me in any way, it's just to give you not, it's not as if there's a, there's a really reciprocal relationship where you know we're giving them positive coverage and they're doing us massive favors. Most of the, the stuff I get in terms of quotes will be from the mix zone, like a, an interview I did with Laurie's last night, or press conferences which are open to, to all media. <sighs> Um, so yeah, I just wanted to, to, to kind of set the record straight really. And, and I appreciate there, there are people that, that uh, won't believe me or, or whatever, but what I wrote was, was kind of sincerely my opinion. Um, you can disagree with that opinion and that's why we all love the game, right? Cause it's, it is a game of opinions and it, it, it sparks debate and that's why I, I enjoy doing my job. Um, but you know, I hope people will kind of sincerely, um, acknowledge that what I write is how I see the situation in, in, in honestly and not kind of what I've been told to write by the club or what I think they want to hear. Um, and yeah, I mean, and, and then I'd be more than happy to kind of get into the, the, the details of what I wrote. Um, again, show it in, Dan. I mean, look, I yeah. think. No, I, I hear you. I mean, there's a lot of comments uh, in in the uh, in the section about. Can I, yeah, can I say one thing, Lee? Just to carry on, it's funny because on Dan's point he makes there, you know, there's also been that accusation in the last few days that apparently me and you, Lee, are also no, being no. paid by the club. Now, no, no. if the club was paying me, you can probably hear my two-year-old right now that is shouting down the kitchen next to me here. So <laughs> I'm not too sure how much the club would be interested in hearing my two-year-old son shout down and scream the place down and pay me at the same time I'm doing last one on Spurs. But I just want to make it very, very clear. Yes, last one on Spurs is sponsored by Beavertown Brewery, but we are not being censored or not being told to change or shift our opinion whatsoever. I think what we've always tried to do on last one on Spurs is provide a logical balance as to where things stand. Uh, Some feel maybe that we're not ballsy enough, but on numerous occasions and throughout the last four, five, six, seven, eight shows, we have been heavily critical of the board. And we've all, many of us have suggested coming onto the show that there needs to be communication. There needs to be some form of a change for the club to be successful. So I'm just not quite sure what people would want us to do or to say when we're just trying to be honest and be logical about our approach. Lee, I don't even want to come back on that, Lee, yeah, before you carry on. Yeah, no, I was, I was just going to say that some of the comments that they're, they're making me laugh today. So, um, you know, Ash is saying they, they want the club will want a refund if if they're paying us to do this stuff. But I agree with you, Ash. I totally agree with you. Look, I, mean, I think I I personally think I mean it, it was quite tough yesterday um, to to come on and talk about the defeat in the manner that that it happened, and then 
it quickly turns to, and this is no one's fault, this is just where, where the fan base is divided or where the fan base is. Everybody seems to want to be either left or right. Everybody wants to seem either red or blue. Everyone need, needs to be in and out, in and in. That's not actually the case. What, what the case is, is that what we need is, is to take on different bits of information and then make our own minds up. And if my mind is actually, I want the board to invest 500 million um, pounds in in the summer and I don't think they're doing a good enough job, then that's my opinion. But also if my opinion is, I think they've done an amazing job with the infrastructure of the club and where they are and what they're doing. And actually it's a matter of time before they invest. Then that's also my opinion. And thirdly, if my opinion is, this is an absolute disgrace, 23 years of like one trophy, then that's also my opinion. So I do get it from, from all angles. I think the bit that I start to draw the line at is where it starts to get like quite quite aggressive and attacking. Um, you know, just because of a, a person's opinion, it doesn't necessarily mean to say that they're bad bad blokes or bad individuals, bad uh, bad girls. It doesn't mean that. Um, it means that you know we just have a difference of opinion. Like I know I know a lot of my best friends are Arsenal fans, right? And we we obviously clash from an Arsenal Tottenham fan, but it doesn't mean to say that we don't like each other or we don't have to be aggressive to each other. I'm sure people vote in a different way. I'm sure people have different religions. Do you see what I mean? So, but but I think the overriding problem is you know that we we don't hear enough from the board. So the communication from the board is just basically silence, and then. People wrongly, because we know that we're not paid by the club or mouthpieces of the club, but people wrongly then accuse people of being their mouthpieces because they're not hearing from the club. So I do get the frustration. I, I totally get it. Um, but but equally, you you know, from a from a media standpoint or from a, you know, I, I'm not in media, obviously, I'm just lucky enough to, to do something that I love, although it is quite hard when people are, you know, are, are not loving it as, as it is at the moment. But I love to be on the last one, I suppose, and I'll just give my, my honest opinion, like, I'll do a match analysis or a post-match analysis and I'll see the game as it is, how I see it in my eyes. And I, and I, and I look at the, the club as an overall situation. And just because some people don't agree with that or wholeheartedly agree with that or vice versa, it doesn't mean to say that we should be attacked. Um, so so that that would be my piece on it. But I think the, the overriding factor is that something needs to change in the football club. Right? Mm-hmm. Something has to change because let's be honest, lads, viewers, listeners, we have been here so many times and 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 the one common denominator let's have it right is the football club is the board right in in that scenario so i'm not necessarily saying in or out what i'm saying is something needs to change and we we need to find a way together and that is the board the management the directors the recruitment team the directors of football the fans the journalists the you know the the the, the podcasters if we can call ourselves that Rick. We need to find a, a way of coming together because that's how we're going to get success. And it's so fragmented at the moment that it's, it's tough. It's hard to work it through. But I would rather sit and talk and debate and work it through rather than be, you know, be be aggressive on it. And I think that's where I start to draw the line. Does that make sense? I, th- I think that you've made loads of good points there, Lee, if I can just jump in. Um, I mean, first of all, you know, obviously it would be fantastic if Spurs were paying. If Spurs said, you know, you can have 5% of Ndombele's salary to, uh, then I would have a, you know, I have a big decision to make. It would be very tempting, but sadly that's not the case. Um, but look, yeah, I think in all seriousness, you made some great points, Eddie, and I think, you know, first of all, you're right. It's not 
um, black and white. It's, it's a nuanced situation. And again, you know, I'm happy to to talk about you know some of my feelings about Conte and how he's not helping the situation or or sort of contributing to the malaise. And also the the comment about uh, communication from the board. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, Conte himself called them out on it, or, or, or he, he didn't actually call them out. And he said English footballers. He called out English football on it, to be clear, um, this week. And I, I, I think they don't help themselves. And I think if Levy, frankly, did an interview with independent media every six months and said, listen, this is what I'm trying to do. This is my position on this. Um, it would make a big difference. Um, instead, he doesn't do any interviews, really. Um, and he does an annual message once a year, before the last home game of the season, which you know is heavily PR'd, yeah. And and frankly, I was saying this to to, to a mate the other day. The the and the club won't like to hear this, but the, the only other kind of public figure I know who doesn't do interviews and communicates once a year through an annual message was the Queen. You know why is Levy behaving like the, the Queen of England? You know it, it's it's absurd. They should be accountable to to supporters and and be a lot more open and um, communicative, I think. Dan, yeah, there's so much to touch upon. What we are going to do is, look, we'll get your thoughts on City, and then that will probably lead into, like I say, we, there's nothing that's off limits here again. We are going to mm. mentally go back through, you know, the situation with the players, the yeah, board, yeah. potential transfers. Um, let's start with last night. I feel like this has just been a continuation, Lee, of just what is going on right now. But we'll come to Dan. We'll then go to you, Macker. I feel like we're just going back over old ground with last night. But I have to get your thoughts on it, Dan. Look, I mean, last night, four goals against us, four errors. I feel like we've been here before. I have a horrible feeling, no doubt, we might be there again under this current situation where we find ourselves with this particular group of players. You were there, Dan, obviously reporting mm-hmm. for obviously in your, in your role. What, what was your thoughts of the overall performance and result? up at the Etihad? Well, I thought it was particularly frustrating because in the first half, I thought there were real kind of green shoots and it was a kind of reminder that there's um, a bit of life in this Conte team yet, I think. Um, I thought there was obviously a game plan. It wasn't the exact game plan of last year. I think that would be unfair. I think it was a bit braver. It was kind of more of a high-pressing game plan, um, which you saw for the first goal with, with Benton Cole really getting up to Rodri and I think the players executed it really well and it was a kind of reminder of Spurs when they looked like a, a well-coached, well-drilled team that were following the manager's instructions to the letter and you know lots of tactical fouls, lots of commitment. Um, I, I enjoyed it. It was it was you know like watching Spurs in the second half of last season. Um, so that made it particularly frustrating that essentially they gifted City four goals. I thought it was four errors or four really sloppy pieces of play. I mean, Perisic and Loris for the first three, more or less, and then Longley for, for the fourth. Um, that speaks to the kind of lack of quality, the lack of belief in the side. Um, as soon as Alvarez scored, I thought Spurs were going to cave. Um, they're so poor at responding to setbacks. I think that is an issue that... Um, possibly points to a kind of lack of belief and a lack of buy-in to the project, um, whether the fact that Conte is not committing be- until uh, beyond the end of the season, sorry, is a factor, I, I don't know. But it, it looked like a side who, as soon as they suffer a bit of adversity, they just crumble. Um, it, we've seen it before. 
Uh, and I think, as you said, we will probably see it again. Um, but my overall takeaway was that there's still a decent team in there that can play Conte's way. Um, and they did for 45 minutes, having Benton and Kulisevsky back to their near their best. You know, it was, it was a reminder that there's there are quality, quality players in this team. Um, but my piece for the evening standard today was, was about the defence and you you look at the the quality back there and the way they're playing and it's it's kind of very hard to see how Conte builds on that when the confidence and, and kind of quality is, is as low as it is. So that, that that's you know, we can get into that, but yeah it's an issue, isn't it? And it, and there's not many it's not like there's many good options for him to, to change it um unless he maybe goes to to a back four. It, it it really is. If if I could just interact there, if if, if I may, Rick. So I think again, make some really good points, Dan. I think that I, I don't want to go on my take on the city game. So I did an hour and a half on that last night, and people are just going to switch off because my dulcet tones. But what I would say is, uh, sad as I am, during my lunch break earlier, I um, I watched Antonio Conte's presser twice um, because uh, because I, I like to see the body language and the understanding. Like it's not just a quote. Yesterday, I snapped at you, Rick, didn't I, about the, the quote bit, what he said about the defenders. But actually, when you watch his press conference, it, it is different when you watch it with, with the words. And obviously, being there, Dan, as you are most of the time, is, is obviously get, you get a better context. Um, and so I watched his one for the, pre, the preview of Fulham, which was weird because it was on this morning. And he was talking about that the, the lack of... Um, he didn't actually say the lack of defensive options, but he was talking quite heavily about the fact that he can't. We did press high and we did take risks and we were braver. And I, for one, it's just my opinion, I could see that in the first half without a doubt. It looked like I sent the WhatsApp group, didn't I, Rick, yesterday? Wow, we look like you're pressing. Kane's even, even Kane's given it a go to press, which, you know, there's been a bit of a long running joke that he can't press as much as he could anymore. But, you know, we were pressing. But what we wasn't doing very well as a team is doing it. As a team, like as a unit, that intensity press, which maybe we're we've got a hangover from, or maybe we're a bit used to under Potticino, but that one time that the press worked, we scored. And Benton Kerr was a classic example of that. It was very, it was very strong. So there's no doubt in my mind, in your mind, your piece today, everybody talking that that our defence is the issue. And I just wonder, you know, there was a free a dis- Graceful 3-0 defeat at the Etihad a couple of seasons ago when uh, when Sanchez fell on his face. Uh, I don't want to be rude to Sanchez, but he fell on his face, right? It was just calamitous. And the fourth goal yesterday was was the same with Longley. I mean, Longley is a completely different defender to Sanchez. And yes, he didn't fall on his face, but it was still calamitous, wasn't it? It was just individual errors time and time again. And I think one thing that I got out of Conte's presser today was... He was trying to explain a process, and there's some really good questions. Obviously, I think the Moose was in there asking the question that he that he talked about quite heavily, um, Ian Abrams, and he and he spoke about in a process. Sometimes you have to go forward, but uh, go backwards. Sorry, but it still looks like progress. Like you've just alluded to there, Dan. We played better as a team, as a unit against City yesterday than we did last season. Yet we won last season, and uh, this season we lost, um, or, or last night that we lost. So he was trying to explain that progress isn't just about winning and results all the time. Progress is learning about certain situations, which I I get. And I want him to succeed at at Tottenham. I want Antonio Conte to succeed. 
But I do think that's, I mean, injuries aside, I do think that's quite strange where he's got a big tune out of Davis and Dyer last season. And this season, it just feels like they've dropped off again. Uh, maybe, maybe that's just the standard of player that, that they can't raise their game again. Because Romero got booked pretty early on, didn't he, yesterday? But then I thought he was outstanding again. I thought, you know, some of the tackles he was making on a yellow card as well, one in particular in the penalty area. So there was a big fix to happen. And I just feel, I don't know what you lads think, I just feel if we get rid of Conte now or, or, or allow him, if we, can, if we can use that word, allow him to leave, we're just going to go through the same painful process again, regardless of what the manager is, because we have to go through that process in order to get better. Arsenal, two eighth-place finishes under Arteta, bottom of the league last season. Now we'll look at where they are. They went through that pain. In fact, didn't they offer him a, con- a new contract whilst he was still going through some tough times? So I just think it is about backing where we are at right now and, 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 and making sure that I don't think the club or Conte, well, club definitely, I think, because they don't come out, but I don't think the club or Conte has ever come out and said, we don't want to be here to each other. He alludes to them sorts of things, but he also says, I, I like working at Tottenham, I want to be here. So it's kind of like, it's so confusing, isn't it? I mean, I don't know where to go from it because it's so confusing. Can you shed any light on, on the confusion with regards to maybe these errors? Well, I mean, the errors well, maybe no. firstly. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate what, what, what Lee's saying. I, I, I would say there's less confusion in, in my mind. I mean, I think if Conte really wanted to be here, um, he would have signed a new deal. It, Spurs would have been happy with that um, yeah. earlier in the season. Maybe, you know, maybe they might not be so happy about it now, given the way the form's going. Um, but you know, let's be clear. I think Conte is the one. Um, as much as anything, who is driving this uncertainty. You know, he did it last season uh, for the duration of the second half of the campaign. He refused to commit beyond the, the end of the season, um, even though he had another year on his deal. Uh, he had talks after the Norwich game when Spurs clinched Champions League football, as, as you remember, and then he agreed to stay on for another year. Um, but until that point, it was not guaranteed. And I think last season, the fact that he could walk away was kind of a motivator for his players. I think he was such a asset to the club. And and this year, I, I, I don't think it is motivating them anymore. I think it's seeding uncertainty. Um, so, yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. But I think, you know, sometimes you have to kind of think about what, what the top line or what the, the, the key message is. And for me, the key message he keeps repeating is that he could walk away at the end of the season. And yet, yes, you're right. He does say, I'm enjoying working here and, you know, I'm... Uh, you know, enjoying the project, and I understand the project, and, and I know that what the conditions are, that kind of thing. But he also won't stop saying, and he said it again last night, um, that you know he still has to decide his future. Um, so, you know, for, for me, um, as much as I think, um, as much as I think Conte is clearly a world class manager, I mean that's beyond dispute. Um, he is making it very, very difficult. For the club, and I know a lot of fans don't want to hear this, but to use a, a hackneyed analogy, you know, if if you if your girlfriend kept threatening to leave you, you would not be buying her, you know, many expensive gifts to convince her to stay. Do you know what I mean? You you wouldn't because it, you, you'd be worried you're wasting your money, and and I feel like by the same token, 
probably part of the hesitance for the club to really get behind Conte is because he keeps saying, I might not be here next season. Um, so there's obviously uh, a case for them to say, well, I'm not sure we should be buying you kind of specialist players for your very rigid system that you refuse to change. Um, so, yeah, I, we, we've kind of got got where I thought we would get. I'd be interested to hear you guys' thoughts. I mean, yeah. You come back on that, I'll come after. Yeah, sorry, mate. Just to interact on that. So, I, I, again, I get, I get what you're saying, completely get what you're saying. And I, it does feel like a chicken and egg scenario. The girlfriend analogy is brilliant, by the way, because, um, you know, unless unless that individual, your partner, whatever's going to commit, then why would you commit? But equally, it's it's got to. Why has it got to this stage? When when Antonio Conte took the job eighteen months ago, there would have been a plan with the board, with Paratici, with his new staff, and Antonio Conte and his coaching staff. And whatever that plan was, which we never got to hear, by the way, we got I think a snippet in February, maybe from Fabio Paratici saying this is where we want to go. Um, but other than that, we didn't we didn't really know what that plan looked like. It's going to be a five year plan before we win the Premier League. Or it's going to be a two to three year plan before we. You know, there's no, in my opinion, there's nothing wrong with just putting a stake in the ground and saying, right, this is what we're building up to, but it's going to take some time. Um, and therefore, what's changed from that point when he signed to now? Uh, you know, it, 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 and and actually, yeah. sometimes, and a lot of the frustration I think from from a lot of people with, with the board is that they constantly, or the board have constantly not given the managers what they want or what they need. And Conte is the first manager in, I don't know how long, to actually call him out on it. He's, he's, he's the first person to actually be almost like a voice for a lot of the frustrated fans to go, we do need to spend more money. You know, Manchester United have spent 400 million. We, we, ha we haven't spent enough or we've recruited in the wrong ways. And, and so I just wonder what, and this is a point about the communication from the top, like, What's changed during that period? Forget the results, because I think that I don't think anybody expected after the Nuno situation and us being eighth in the league, I don't think any of us expected us to get top four. So the fact that we've got top four in Champions League football and the revenue, by the way, that goes with that, massive bonus. And and ultimately to be able to attract players. I don't think Perisic would have come, for example, if we weren't in, in, in the Champions League. And you might argue that he's not good enough after their mistakes yesterday. But again, that's another debate. But the point I suppose I'm making is that what's changed from Conte signing to now outside of the football arena, and therefore that's the bit that we because that's what everyone's guessing. Oh, it must be money. Conte's got young because he's not getting backed. That's the general consensus. But we actually don't yeah. know if that's the case, do we? I think yeah. Again, totally fair point. I mean, I, I think I think I'm right in saying that Conte is said on record the situation of the club was worse than he realised. So my theory is that there's there's, there's there's sort of two elements to it. One is that Conte, when he took the job, uh, he was fed up of being out of football. Um, he got a very attractive financial package from Spurs. Um, and he probably thought the level was, the situation was closer to the situation he walked into at Chelsea when they just had the Mourinho season and it was a really talented squad who'd just been undercoached. When actually the reality is that Spurs are a really imbalanced squad, as we know, with a lot of players that need moving on and upgrading. Um, That's a lot harder to, to whip into shape than that Chelsea team was. Um, apologies, my 
baby daughter screaming in the background. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear. I that. Thought Maka was looking at me. What my what my what my this time, Maka? Mine are not babies anymore, um, so they're at school. <laughs> but then, but then, yeah. I, but then, I also think, as we know, Enik and Daniel Levy have a history of seemingly not giving the managers what they want, and and pretty much every manager from you know certainly from Harry onwards to Poch, I think, as as more or less said, we didn't get the targets we wanted. Um, And you could see that play out in the summer with with Conte, who obviously wanted um, Bastoni at centre-half and ended up with with Longley on loan. Um, As one example, um, clearly didn't want Jed Spence. Um, We're not sure... uh, I'm not sure, exactly sure who he, he wanted at, at right wing back, but clearly it wasn't spent. That's obvious. Um, and so presumably he feels like he's been let down and, and, and he would have thought that the club um, would kind of be more robust and ambitious in the market. So I think that mm. I think there are two elements. Right. When it's changed, I think Conte maybe walked into a situation that was worse than he realised. And actually, it doesn't strike me you guys may dis- disagree, but it doesn't strike me that he really has the appetite for the rebuild. He, he says he does, but he looks like a man who, frankly, doesn't really want to be there. Um, he, looks a bit at the moment, he, looks, he looks worn out, and, and obviously he's had this, um, you know, an immense amount of personal tragedy this season, which would take its toll on anyone, but it looks like the job is, is kind of draining him, um, and it is harder than he realised. Um, but equally, I think... You know, from what we know about how the club operates, it, it just doesn't look like they've followed through on, um, yeah, on, on their promises to kind of rebuild the squad in his image. I think there's probably been too many compromises. I think Spence was probably a compromise. I think, you know, Longley probably was. It doesn't look like he re- really fancies Basuma, does it? Basuma one's very interesting because I think all of us, or, or a lot of us, certainly 90% of us wanted Basuma. Didn't see it coming. It was kind of a little bit kind of left field, if you like. All I remember, I was in London that day. All of a sudden, I was like, what? We've signed, I think it was Gary Jacob broke the story, didn't he? And said, oh, we, you know, we've got the same. I was thinking, really? And, 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 you know, a £60 million player, really, because the last year in his contract, 30, 35 million, raising it too. And he's just been a shadow of himself. I mean, this guy bossed games in Brighton. And and again, is that, is that again, a, 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 a kind of a... Uh, a thing with Conte whereby because he doesn't fancy him it wasn't his signing he he, he he doesn't want him more he coaches the life out of him he tells him to do something different like we've seen with Spence I mean again I'm making I'm making an assumption there of course it's a question really than a statement well I think there is a history of centre midfielders in particular struggling to get up to speed with Conte's game and the way he wants to play. I mean, Ericsson was a great example at Inter Milan. It took him half a season to to be trusted by Conte and get in the team. Fabregas was a good example at Chelsea. He barely played in the, in the first half of the season and he became really important. So you could argue that Basuma is just kind of going through that process of being um, contified. Uh, but equally, you know, again, I just feel like there's far too many players in the squad that, that haven't improved or look under coach to me. Um, again, you, you may disagree, but um, but you know Basuma is certainly one of them. The way you know the way he ran games at Brighton, including two games last season that I saw live against Spurs, when he was just looked looked like the perfect signing in, in the summer. Um, and it's easy to forget he's, he's barely had a kick, has he? 
Phoenix 51 is a powerful employee technology enabling organizations to make data-driven decisions at every stage of the employee journey from hiring through benchmarking and development too. The platform provides detailed analytics on the most important asset in your business, your people, enabling organizations not only to make the correct hiring decisions, but also how to benchmark, train and retain them. Phoenix 51 powering your people decisions through every part of the employee journey. I must ask you, Dan, just if I can come in there, really good point from Vinny on the screen who says this isn't fair to the fans, though. The club won't sack, someone doesn't want to be there and the manager won't resign for the same reason. So it feels like, Dan, that we're at a bit of an impasse, if I put that in the most polite way at the moment, where something has got to give. And obviously there's a section of fans that feel Spurs have gone with two... Uh, if I use that term, win now managers in Conte and Jose. And obviously they feel, and I am partly in in this bracket as well, that they haven't been sufficiently backed in terms of giving them the actual tools that they need in order to be successful. So this is what I think frustrates a lot of fans is that why would you go for a win now manager approach if you're not, they're going to give them the tools. If you know you can only go for a project manager, then go for a project manager and and build something from the start like we were done to Pochettino because we may as well have given the rebuild to Poch rather mm-hmm. than going down the route of Jose and Conte because it does feel like we're just going to end back up in the same situation that we will do. And I, it's only a hunch. I might be completely wrong. I feel that we're going to grovel back to Poch because Poch will, I think, appease a percentage of the fan base that just want to see good football again. Because mm-hmm. I think we're at a point now where we can stomach losing because we've been losing for how many years and not winning trophies. But if you're not seeing the football either, I mean, it is just, it's quite literally soul-destroying as a fan because you're not getting either of anything to enjoy. So, yeah, I mean, on that point, do, do you understand? Obviously, I presume you do understand that frustration of fans. And it just baffles me how we're now in the 20th day of a transfer window and we're maybe buying players that we're not even sure who the manager's going to be for. How, how have we got to this point, Dan? How have we got to this point when you look at the World Cup? And, you know, for me, something should have been, had to have been decided before we restarted. I agree Either he was going to sign or mm-hmm. he wasn't going to sign and we're going to have a change of tack. The fact that we are now middle of January and there's an uncertainty about the manager when we've got a Champions League doubleheader to come against AC Milan, where Spurs are still in the FA Cup, where conceivably, despite the improvement of the teams this season, they could still finish in the top four, you'd argue, if the players were to up their game. How have we got to this point, Dan? Yeah, again, I can't disagree with anything you've just said. Um, I mean, to go way back, I think the Mourinho appointment was probably about Levy thinking there's still enough in this squad for a win-now manager, as you put it, to drag them over the line to a trophy. You know, he, he correctly identified that the squad had gone stale under Poch and thought the it was an easier route to get a new manager in than to rebuild under Poch. And, and probably he looked at Kane and Son being two of the foremost strikers in Europe and thought, hold on, if we get Jose in, he might be able to drag this kind of crumbling squad, you know, to an FA Cup or, or, or to... Um, you know, the cup final, Dan, which, yeah. which he then got sacked six days before. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, you're right. He nearly, nearly did, uh, nearly got there. Um, 
So I think that was Brian the Mourinho appointment, but it's it's just muddled thinking, Ricky, like um, completely. And um, I think that there were many people, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying I was one of them. I was very excited by the Conte appointment, but there were many people that kind of correctly um, predicted that this was not a particularly, um, this was not a, a natural union, you know, Spurs and Conte. Um, and I think, can I ask you, Dan, just comment on that point? Is that, but I thought many people thought, you know what, this is the first time in 19 years that Spurs are actually going to change their tact. They have yeah. learnt from Jose and they're bringing Antonio in because it's going to be a change of culture. They're going to bring mm-hmm. in a manager that is used to winning and they're actually going to give him exactly what he needs to win. And as we've just said here, you look back at the summer business, clearly, and again, I'm not wanting to assume or speculate here, but Spence, as Conte is quoted and said on record, was a club signing. Clement Longley, as we know, wasn't his first choice because I did the club identify Bastoni and maybe as one of many profile players they wanted. So, but the fact that already in the summer he didn't have what he wants, it just really disturbs me that we are where we are right now. And we're in the middle of a January window where, as I've said, I'm going to ask you about targets, but I feel like it's a lot. I feel like it's crazy I'm asking you about targets where. I don't even know what manager we're buying them for, Dan. And mm-hmm. I just can't yeah. understand how we've come to the point that we've come to now when we clearly knew, when we researched and looked at Antonio Conte, what he would want. And the most horrendous thing about all this as well, Dan, is that we actually went, over, we actually went up to him, before, well, we went and approached him before this and he turned us down. So to go back for the second time now and then actually appoint him and then still not identify and understand what the guy needs I find that mind-boggling, Dan. Is that fair to find that mind-boggling? Yeah, no, again, I think it's fair. You know, it's it, and, and it comes to down to the, the same thing. You know, it's muddled thinking and, and muddled leadership at the top. Um, I think, you know, Enik have done a lot of good for the club, um, and certainly the bigger picture in terms of where they've raised. You know, I'm old enough to remember what it was like just about before um, Enik came in, and you know, it wasn't particularly great, but. Um, I think they are an investment company, you know, and, and the, the shareholders will always be the priority of Enic. That you know, that's just indisputable. That is what they are there for. They are an investment company designed to make their shareholders money. Sometimes those the interests of the shareholders align with the interests of the club. Sometimes they don't. So it's not as if you know, without outside investment, it's just not as if um you know, Levy was ever going to dramatically change his business model. I think that was probably wishful thinking on behalf of, of supporters. That's not to say that Spurs aren't spending well um, since they got the stadium, because they are. You know, they, Can I ask you, next- Dan, just to quickly come on. back at this, and do you think then, based on what you were saying about maybe wishful thinking, was there a thinking then that Conte was going to adapt and maybe lower his expectations where he was going to come into a club that it was going to be more of a project rather than winning now because the way Conte well, is always well, clearly, Conte keep, you know Conte keeps saying you know I know what my challenge is here and it's not to win the league and Champions League this season it's to build a solid foundation for future success but I, you know it's Conte has had a lot of money spent for him as well I mean rel- again relative to what Chelsea are doing now it doesn't seem like a lot but I think Spurs spent 130 million in the summer Something like that. I mean, Richarlison alone was was sixty. Basuma was twenty odd. Spence fifteen. Um, I'm forgetting someone. Um, so you know, and and then Benton Cor and Kulusevski at the end of the window as well. Um, 
So I think the club would say, you know, we are spending more money than we were before. Uh, we moved to the new stadium. That's what we promised. But I, yeah, again, you know, I, I, I do agree with you that it's, um, you know, it's it's not enough to satisfy Conte. And certainly it's it's not the kind of dramatic change that I think some supporters hope for when he came in. But, you know, as I said, I, I don't think that's a... Um, you know, was ever a kind of realistic expectation. I've, Lee, I want to bring you back in, but I've got a couple more questions I want to ask Dan on, on, oh, the, on the on the man. Do you want to go, Lee, or do you want to come in first? Anything you want to ask Dan from your end? I'm no, just I'll just, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just, I don't know how much longer we can do on the manager and the ball before we do no, on. I think it's quite interesting in comparison because there's there's no there's no doubt, and I said on last night's show, and I say it again, like you know, it's always a series of things that happens that make a disaster. It's not one thing, so it's not. Antonio Conte, it's not the board, it's not the Ricky, it's not Dan Kilpatrick because he gets paid and he doesn't. You know, it's not one thing, it's lots of different things. Um, and one of the things that I think is a, li- a little thing that's happening this year, really little, is the fact that Arsenal are top of the league. And when you look at Arsenal, they were way behind us, under all of the potch days, way behind us. Not only have they um, managed to claw themselves back above us in, the, in, in into a situation where they're at, they're now miles ahead of us, just in almost like one season. And and that's because seemingly there was big pitchforks coming out at Arsenal, lots of protests going on uh, only a couple of seasons ago, sacked the manager, he was bottom of the league, all of that sort of stuff. It, the same thing was happening, really, at Arsenal. Go and ask their fans, as it was happening today, they, they got rid of Emery and they wanted to get rid of Arteta at some point. Um, when they were bottom of the league, probably under, you know, when we were top and they were bottom. And now look at how that's changed. And that's because the club is aligned. But from top to manager, to recruitment, to fans, to everything about that football club is like what we had to a certain degree, because I've touched on the 518 days, under the Pochettino era. And that comes back to that culture and that, but, you know, we were on the same page. We were we had stuff to look forward to, Dan and Ricky. We were looking forward to a world-class stadium. We were looking forward to you know, playing, you know, some, some games at Wembley. We were getting record crowds in Champions League, 88,000. You know, we got these records. We were looking forward. And then we're, to be in this position after building that world-class stadium, after getting all that revenue in, after getting all that money, financial fair play is not an issue. So the, and the frustrations of some of the fans will be the only issue is that we've let all these other clubs overtake us. Look, Man City's, Chelsea's, whatever, they've always been ahead of us. Liverpool, we finished above Liverpool before the Klopp era nine times out of ten seasons. We finished above them, you know, in, in terms of Liverpool. Liverpool have then gone on to have their sliding doors moment with uh, Dejan Lovren getting rinsed, ironically, by Kane uh, at Wembley. 4-1 defeat. Sliding doors moment. They invested heavily in the squad. They won the lot. Literally everything since that period of time. We, we as fans of Tottenham Hotspur are we're kind of used to losing right so we're not we're used to not winning stuff so that we're hardened to that but what I don't think we can take is the fact of there's not there's nothing what is the plan there's nothing coming out of the club what is there to look forward to that's the biggest issue where I think everything's floating about and and Arsenal being top of the league and and not only being top of the league but miles ahead of us and I've seen where they were only two seasons ago is even more infuriating. Does that make sense, lads, listeners, viewers? I think that makes total sense. And I think the, the particularly infuriating thing is Arteta was appointed the month after Poch was sacked, I think. I think he was December 2019, Poch was November 2019. 
Um, and it just makes you think, you know, this is the season where Liverpool are stuttering. Chelsea are in a rebuild. United aren't quite there yet. They're still in transition. Man City look like they might fall away. And had Spurs backed Pochettino then, or even if for whatever reason they felt that he was burnt out and they needed a new project coach, had they brought in a new project coach then and backed them, they would now potentially be in a position to do what Arsenal are doing. You know, had there been that vision and that determination to rebuild, um, they would now be in a place to capitalise on this kind of, you know, one of those seasons that comes around every now and then. We, you know, we all remember the Leicester season when we were not quite there, but Leicester were. This feels almost similar in that all the top clubs have their own issues and, and Arsenal, yeah. you know, obviously Agreed. are a member of the, the big six, but they, they're the ones that are primed to take advantage of that and, and Spurs are nowhere near. Um, and it, it's just, yeah, it, it, it's just so frustrating that, that you know, for me, that the biggest, you know, the biggest mistake Levy has made of, of, of a catalogue of big mistakes was was just not listening to Pochettino and, and thinking that he knew best and, and thinking that, you know, somehow um, he was part, you know, as big a part of the reason for the club's success as Poch had been, which was just frankly untrue. It was all about Poch and the way he developed that culture. And, and as Lee alluded to, the kind of thread of unity that ran through the club from the terraces through the manager, through the team, to the boardroom. It was, you know, it was a really special time and that should have been continued. And if, for whatever reason, both either party felt they couldn't continue that, then it should have been the same model with a different project coach, not a Mourinho or a Conte and, and certainly not an, a Nuno. Um, and, then, and, and then, you know, had that happened in November 2019, Spurs would actually be a month ahead of Arsenal in, in the project. Um, but instead, it feels like they're years behind Arsenal now. I'm yeah. conscious that we've nearly done 50 minutes on the, the manager and the board. And we, well, I think we just kind of need to get to a point now where we just maybe ask you some, I'll have to ask you some hard hitting questions and to close this segment before we, we move on very quickly. I'm mm. conscious it is a Friday night. I think all of us can't wait to have a break and mentally get away from the Spurs for the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> it's just one of those weeks where just quite frankly, what is this club doing to us? Right. So Dan, it looks like based on obviously the conversations that we've had here and being honest as what we can see, it feels like there's a bit of an impasse at the moment. So. Where does this end, Dan? If that's an easy, it's probably a hard maybe question to ask you. Where, where does this go right now? I mean, we're 28 into window. Spurs haven't yet done the business, which we're going to come on to in a couple of minutes. But do you think Conte will be there come the end of the season at this rate, based on the alarming form? I think I don't want to make predictions because I, I genuinely think it's a mugs game, so I just avoid predictions. I think there's 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 two things to consider. I think one is that. Um, Conte has had a very tough year, as he's spoken about recently, and that has to be taken into account. He's lost three close friends. He's living in a hotel away from his wife and daughter. He doesn't look particularly happy. He's struggling. I think given that, at the end of the season, um, there could be a handshake between him and Levy that suits both sides, where he says, I'm struggling. I need to go back to Italy. It's not about you. Um, and Levy says, 
well, I'm not going to trigger the option we've got for 12 years, uh, for 12 more months because <laughs> 12 years we'll be like having a manager for 12. Imagine 12 years with a manager. Um, I know I could 12 years say, one table. I mean, that's, probably, that's probably what he needs to rebuild the squad, to be fair. Probably these 12 um, years and the rest, and then another 12 on that, Dan, I tell you. Yeah, so yeah, I, I could see, I think that's one potential scenario where, where yeah, they, they kind of part ways. At the end of the season, and 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 it's kind of mutually beneficial in that Conte okay. probably feels he he can't see it through. Yeah. Um, I, I guess the, the other thing to consider is um, uh, Levy obviously wants Champions League football. I mean, everyone wants Champions League football next season. It's you know it's, it's a big part of the business plan. It's um, it's it's where Spurs feel they should be. I think personally, um, if you look at the run of fixtures after the next game against City, so I think it's Fulham, Preston, City again, then there's a run of fixtures where I think I'm right in saying Spurs have Chelsea at home and basically the bottom six and the Champions League doubleheader in there. So you could make a case that if you were Levy, you might be looking at that two ways, thinking either that's a chance for Conte to, to turn it round or... There's a chance for a new manager bounce to, you know, win five, six games out of seven and catapult the club back into top four contention and maybe a Champions League quarter final. Now, I'm not saying that's based on on any info to be clear that Spurs want to sack Conte. I'm mm. saying that is one way that you could look at the fi- literally the fixture list. Yeah. Um, so I think those those are two scenarios. The other scenario um, is obviously. Spurs have a much stronger second half to the season, just as they did last season, maybe scrape fourth place. And then you get another situation where Conte might think, hold on, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm paid very well. I've got some good players here. We're back in the Champions League. Maybe I've won the FA Cup and, and continues. I personally find it hard to see that, that third scenario playing out. Um, it just doesn't, it just feels like no one really is committed enough on either side, on his side, on the club side. That's my personal opinion again. Um, so, yeah, that, 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 those are the kind of options, I, I guess. Before Maka comes back in there, Dan, one final thing I want to ask you is that, look, it was clear it seemed in between that uh, World Cup break there was negotiations of a new contract. Just to maybe ask you a straight question, you may not know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask you if you don't know the answer, it's forehand, of course. Mm. Um, do we know if there's even an offer still of a contract to sign for Conte as things stand now? Do we know if there's a contract on the table still offering Conte to pennies? To co- Pen long term to the club. Uh, it's a good question. I do, yeah, and the the answer is I don't know if that's, there's an offer still on the table. I mean, I think you can probably make your own educated deductions about that. I mean, the form has not been great. It's obviously six defeats and ten league games. So I kind of be surprised if the club was saying to any manager in that situation, you know, we we want you know here's a here's a bumper new contract. Although you know, having said that. If they feel that the uncertainty Conte is causing by not committing during the end of the season is, is a big issue, then um, you know it might be in their interests. But yeah, yeah, I don't know for sure, Rick. Okay, that's fine. Lee, any more on this subject before we uh, yeah, move just, on? Just quickly on that. Again, I just want to. It's only just a balance and a context around everything that we've been talking about. And I do, I do agree that the most likely scenario, like like you just said, Dan, is that they kind of part ways and say thanks for your time because. He does look broken in that press press conference. His family is still in Italy. He has gone through a horrendous time personally this year with losing three people. Exactly what you've just said. You know what I mean? So like, 
I don't think we appreciate, and we should appreciate, when you lose a loved one or, you know, a top family person or, you know, a friend, it affects you and it affects your work. Your boss, where you work, boss will need to know that sort of stuff as well. When it happens three times within that period of time, like a short period of time, that must be really hard, especially with everything else that's going on as well. But just to put some context around it, Jonathan Ville, you know, one of your, your colleagues, really, that is on the yeah. circuit with you, Dan, he tweeted um, earlier, from, from the PA, isn't he, from, from the Press Association, he tweeted earlier, the league table after 20 games for Tottenham last season versus the league table after 20 games for Tottenham this season. And it's, it's absolutely compelling viewing, right? Because we're seventh in the league with 36 points last season. This season, we're fifth with 33 points. So, all the stuff that's gone on, all the doom and gloom, where we are, we're still actually only three points behind where we was this time last season. And therefore, if we get another Benton Kurt, it's a big if, if we get another Benton Kurt and Kulisevsky, if we do have our second half kick on season, there's no reason why we can't. I mean, he is the reason. Benton Kurt is the reason why we're playing on Wednesdays as we sing. And, and it, there's no reason why we can't go again. And, and get into that top four. Um, I, I just feel maybe this is hope rather than expectation. There's very different the sentimental part of me, the the you know the the hope part of me. I just hope that we do stick with Conte and that Conte does want to be here because I I honestly think that if he does want to be here and we do stick with him, I think in the next couple of years we could be we could be very good. That that's what I think. I just think. Bringing in another manager today, if it was if it was the board's choice just to sack Conte, even if he wanted to stay, I think that would be a mistake because bringing in another manager, we're going to have to go through the same process again. Like we literally are going to have to go through, unless, like you said earlier, Rick, it becomes Poch because Poch is the only guy of the names that we've been talking about that kind of knows the club inside out, knows the fans, yeah. knows everything that's happened before. And it does feel like he could maybe seamlessly just come in and pick up where he left off. I'll tell you what, Lee, just on that point, and Dan, again, with your position, I'm not sure if you want to comment on this, and I understand if you don't, but it almost would feel then for Daniel that he's almost having to swallow a lot of pride there to bring Maurizio back, as if to say, I've got this wrong. And I can't remember in the 20 years Enoch have been here that we've had... At any point, and please correct, correct me if I'm wrong here, guys. I, I can't remember Daniel ever coming out and saying, I've got this badly wrong. We should never have done this. And almost bringing Maurizio back would be an indication that we should really have never sacked him in the first place Maybe. and backed him at the time when he demanded new furniture. I agree with you, uh, Ricky, and that I think um, there is a question over whether Levy would be kind of prepared um, to sort of swallow his pride on it, particularly as Poch has been spectacularly proved right in the last kind of three odd years. But then I, I, I would also say that Levy has a pretty strong history of bringing people back to the club, doesn't he? I mean, you know, Bale. Right, he does play well, well, right, he does, you know, he's, he's yeah. not averse to, to bringing someone no. back. Um, and I actually think for me that the, the more interesting question would be whether Poch and Paratici would both be prepared to work together. I'm not going to ask you to comment, Dan, but after the news of Parashity today, God knows where that bloke is at the moment. Let's let's keep it that I'm, way. Yeah, I'm not going to ask you to comment, but for everyone else, everyone's asking, where is the bloke? <laughs> we yeah, no, just want to go into a window. 
Hi everyone, Crackers here with your events update for 2023. Friday the 24th of February, Gary Mabber at the Rodgers Club in Chessington. Friday the 3rd of March, Harry Redknapp at Cambly Heath Golf Club. Go to echo61.co.uk for further details. Friday the 10th of March, Steve Sedgley, Tony Galvin, Phil Bill are at Dartford FC for South East Thames Spurs Supporters Club. Friday the 17th of March, Glenn Hoddle is at Bedwars Rugby Club. That's for South Wales Spurs. Emerald Spurs events on Facebook have on Friday the 24th of March, Michael Dawson at Row Park Resort Limavardi. And then on Saturday the 25th of March, Gary Mabber at the Bonington Hotel in Dublin. Worcester Spurs, the official supporters club there, Friday the 28th of April. Glenn Hoddle is at Worcestershire County Cricket Club. If you go to at Mr Cracknell across the socials, please take a look on there for posters of these events and further ticket details. Come on you Spurs. Overview obviously of where we are with regards to the transfer window. I can hear the laughter track in the background because we're 20 days in and we haven't even done anything yet. So people are thinking, what are you talking about? Transfer windows? Is there even one open? There is actually one open at the moment. Lots of teams are, well, say lots, quite a number of teams are doing their business. Um, Dan, I'm going to ask you about the situation with regards to Pedro Porro. I'll let Lee ask you about um, Zaniolo as to where we're at. Let's start with Porro quickly, Dan. Look, seems to be a player that Spurs admire. They seem to like him. Spurs fans, and me included, will be thinking, well, if you are wanting to back Antonio Conte, there's the release clause. Just go and pay the release clause and bring him in. So what Mm. is making this move so difficult, Dan, to complete when we're 20 days into a window and you can see the clear deficiencies that Spurs have in that back line? Well, I think, first of all, um, Porro is a kind of name out there at the moment, but we all know by now like how Paratici likes to work. He tends to be spinning plates. You know, that's pretty common knowledge. Um, so it may it may well be that there are sort of other wing back targets that, that you know we don't know about that I don't know about. Um, so that might be you know part of the hesitation on putting the trigger on on Poro in case you know someone more attractive presents themselves in the last ten days of the window, which you know as we know is is how the club you know, like to operate. They like to let it um, go down toward the wire to to try and get a better deal for themselves. Um, I had heard Conte um, has concerns that uh, Porro might be a bit slight. I think that's been reported um, elsewhere. You know, he he likes his full uh, wing back, sorry, to be um, you know physical players. Um, it's no secret that he uh, liked the idea of converting Adama Traore, for instance, to the role a year ago. So that gives you an idea of you know maybe the kind of profile that, that he's looking for there um so it may well be that you know there's also um a sense that not everyone is completely sold on poro um and then yeah to, to go back to what i said you know earlier um i guess the hesitation on the club side might be well hold on a minute are we going to buy a player um for a manager who uh, might not be here next season or who's threatening to not be here next season because the new manager if Conte was to leave at the end of the season, might not rate Poro. So those are my hypotheses for the delays. Um, I think there is uh, a sense in the last few days that it's gathered momentum. You know, Spurs have entered talks. Um, I think they've made offers. 
I think they've suggested players um, in part exchange to see if Sporting are interested in that. Um, and you know, there, there's a there's a kind of new impetus on trying to do that deal. So um, we'll have to wait and see. But um, I think an- another thing to consider, and, I, and I've written this, is that there doesn't seem to be any appetite from Emerson or Doherty to go. Uh, I was told Emerson does not want to leave London. He'd only go to a London club as it stands in the Premier League. So that's a problem because um, you know, who, who wants him? Um, Chelsea, and, maybe. They find everyone else well, at the moment. I mean, the way it's going, yeah, it's, it'll be worth a shot, wouldn't it, to offer him to, to Todd Bowley? Um, but uh, I, I think what has been overlooked occasionally this season, including in the chat about Spence, is that actually Conte has got a squad to manage and he probably won't want three senior right wing backs, even if he thinks, you know, he can get an upgrade there. Um, so, yeah, that, I mean, that's that, that, that's my, my kind of best um, hypothesis about the, the Poro situation. But, yeah, from from what I've heard, it has sort of gathered pace in the, in the last few days. So we, we wait and see where that goes. Okay, Lee, I'll let you come in on there. Some, oh, well, I was going to ask you about Zeniolo, but um, we, we've had some pace gathering in the comments. I haven't seen any social media stuff, so I don't know if you've got any updates uh, from us on that, Dan, at all. But it looks like that that's starting to gather pace as well in terms of Zaniolo, and, and and actually, is he going to come and join the football club? You know, I, I, you know, I don't know anything about that. The the, the first time I heard that Zaniolo interest had been reignited, I think was on the way to City last night, and, and I, really? I haven't really had a, a spare yeah. moment to try and stand it up. I mean, what, what I can say is, it's it's just an, he's a name that's been around for forever, hasn't he? I mean, I, I'm, it definitely dates back to Mourinho that that alleged yep. interest. And yep. sometimes, yeah, in, in my kind of experience, sometimes there are sort of club targets who stay on the radar for a long time. And sometimes there are just players um, with kind of quite active agents who constantly mention the same clubs when, when they're talking to people. So I, I, I honestly don't know. Um, what, was he mooted as a kind of wing back, if I remember rightly? Was it that the, he was, was at one point, yeah. Sure, yeah. But I think this season he's going to be more of a kind of the, like that forward player. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, I, I listened to, um, uh, I can't remember his name. I'll get it back. I'll, I'll, mm. I'll come back to my memory banks. But I listened to him on, on Sky, Andy, uh, the European football expert, Andy Brazil. And he was saying that actually, it went before he'd done his second, because he's done two cruciate ligaments, right? And I know mm. I play football, right? But I've done mine, my right one twice. So I know how bad it is. And he's done one in his left knee and one in his right knee. So, you know, he's only 23 years old. He used to be powerhouse, big, strong guy, but run past people. But actually Andy was explaining that now he's he's kind of, he doesn't explode and doesn't go past people as much as what he used to. And of course, he's not playing as much under Jose because Jose's got, you know, the baller there, isn't he? He's got, um, you know, Tammy Abraham that's uh, that's firing on all cylinders as well. So he's not playing. I think he's a, there's another player, I can't remember, who plays mm. on top of the over. But so, so he's getting bit part. So it could be an opportunity. And we know that Paratigi likes an opportunity, don't we? Um, but equally, you know, if he's, you know, it's in the comments, is he another Lamella? Plays once, has a good game, and then has five out because he's injured. I mean, it does... No, I won't hear a bad word against Lamella. I was about to say, I know Dad from years ago. Dad was a, listen, we all had a bit of love for Lamella back in the day. It's so did I, but, you know, it's that sort of thing, isn't it, where you think, oh, (laughs) are we going to get a run of 20, 30 games out of him? Um, But I I think I I also, 
just trying to put into context, it's not really a question to you, Dan or Ricky. It's just more of a kind of, is is are we in this state because we haven't signed anybody? Because this time last season, and we got Benjamin Kern Kuliseski, we also hadn't signed anyone. Like you know, yeah. so is the delay because Conte won't sign a new contract, or is the delay because Tottenham are Tottenham, and this is what we do for forever because we didn't sign anyone early in January last year, and actually Conte mentioned in his presser today. That he was he was a bit perturbed by the fact that we let four people go and only brought two in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember at the time when he was saying that, I was thinking, "What you're that worried about letting Lascelles go and then Dembele go and Winks go and Deli Ali go?" Because they were the four, but it was a numbers thing for him at that period. And you know, he talked about that today and the fact that we got the two in that were brilliant, but we ha- we didn't get them in at this point in the season. I think it was at least another six days away before they signed. So, is that just Tottenham? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a bit of column A, a bit of column B, isn't it? I mean, it is just Tottenham. They, they, yeah. they prefer to leave it late. It's, it's just pretty much always been the way the club's operated. But I think it's reasonable to assume that the Conte doubt is giving them a bit of pause for thought. Yeah, it's fair. I, I agree. You you wouldn't sign, would you? I mean, like again, if you if you you're going for a, a, a new role. And uh, you know your your CEO, whatever that you've interviewed with, you built relationship with, you're there, you know the boss, whatever it is, and he or she's like, yeah, brilliant, you're coming in, but by the way, I'm going to leave. You, you're kind of not going to go though, are you? You're going to feel like, hang on, really, what's going to happen then? So it's very uncertain. That's why I think I tweeted this back before the World Cup. You know, the key four things for me, it was before the Brentford game. The key four things for me was announce Antonio Conte and Conte's uh, contract extension. Announce Kane, because I think once Conte extends, then Kane extends. That's just my opinion. Um, and get them deals done. And that is seriously feel-good factor coming back from the World Cup. Um, and then start, make sure that you've got your core targets for the uh, for, for the January window lined up. Get three points against Brentford. I mean, it's quite simple, Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, to do that. I know it's a lot of complications that I don't know about, but actually, if we do that, we're, we're in a very different scenario than we are as we're talking today. And now we're in a situation where Kane's going to leave because he's in his last eight, less than 18 months of his contract. Conte's going to leave. Son's out of shocker. He, he, he can't even be sold now for 20 million because he's so bad. It's just so erratic, isn't it? It's a lot it? of the yeah. thing. That, that's the word. That, that is the word. Uh, Dan, I think what we'll do is, like I say, a couple of lot final things to ask you about. I'm maybe going to ask you about Larissa's situation. I think maybe Lee rightly maybe ends it on Harry and maybe the situation around him uh, to close it. But, I mean, you mentioned, I think, earlier in a piece that Spurs are working on a succession plan and targeting a new goalkeeper as a priority in the summer. Now, uh, I think among those targets you named were David Rea, Jordan Pickford and Jana Black uh, as the potential targets for Tottenham. Um Based on Hugo's form, and I know, again, I want to make this point. You did a piece with Hugo, um, I think, was it today, Dan, or yesterday? Yeah, yeah, today. Do, do you maybe want to bring that into context? I think, Dan, again, it was a, it's one of those interviews where I saw the minute you put it out on Twitter, and we know what Twitter's like, um, mm. it obviously was heavily, again, ridiculed, the fact that, you know, with, with Lloris, the amount of errors he's making. And to be fair, again, mm. I'll, I'll say it, I think my... My stance as a fan looking at this is that Spurs should have been having Larice's successor probably two years ago. I think mm-hmm. we should never have been at a point where we are now where we're having to replace Larice at a point where he's making error after error after error. And I think it's so, so sad that for a guy that's given over 10 and a half years of service that mm-hmm. we're seeing almost a fall away from the guy that's recovered so many points for Tottenham over so many seasons because he was ultimately one of the reasons why Spurs achieved the top four 
in that season against Arsenal, battling for the top four. So do you think that succession plan will be accelerated, Dan? Or what do you see with Larissa maybe bringing the context you spoke about with him? Yeah, I, I don't think it will be accelerated. But I wrote today in my piece about the defence that there's a strong case for accelerating it, I think. Because you've, you've got a situation where, frankly, he is costing Spurs a lot of points suddenly. You know, he, he we don't know how the Villa and Arsenal games would have gone if he hadn't made a mistake leading to the first goal in, in both. Um, and I think... You know, had Spurs kept it tight for the first 20 minutes of, of the second half last night, it could have been a very different outcome and City would have got frustrated and left more space, et cetera, et cetera. And he, he was culpable, um, I think, for the first and third goals. So th- there's definitely a case for bringing it forward. I don't think Spurs will, because I think, is as we know, it's, it is very difficult to sign players in the January window. Um, you've got 10 days left. The players they will be looking at who are capable of coming in and being a number one at a top six Premier League club will already be the number one somewhere else. And there aren't going to be many clubs in Europe unless Spurs make a massive offer who are going to want to lose their goalkeeper with a few days left of the January transfer window. It just, you know, who are they going to get? Everton aren't going to sell Jordan Pickford. Um, Brentford aren't going to sell David Raya mid-season. Um, I doubt uh, Atletico Madrid are going to sell Jan Oblak. Um, so... It's uh, you know it's 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 a and all of those guys have interesting contract situations incidentally and and which which might be easier to exploit in in the summer. Um, so yeah, I, I can't see it happening. Honestly, I may be wrong. Um, and if Luis's form you know continues to go south, then maybe Spurs will think again. But I think at the moment it's a it's a priority for the summer. I agree with you, Rick. It should have happened uh, before. Um, but yeah, I'm just, and just to plug my piece. Very yeah. quickly, Luis very decently fronted up last night. I was kind of in the mix zone and, and there weren't any other um, journalists who wanted to speak to him down there. So I ended up just speaking to him one-on-one, only for a few minutes, to be clear. But um, he wasn't great on um, the form. You know, he obviously he wants he wanted to be optimistic and look ahead, but he was quite honest about his, his own situation. And he said, you know, he was lacking mental freshness for the World Cup and... I had heard, I spoke to a friend of Larissa's um, a week or so ago who was saying that, you know, that there was a feeling that he had found it particularly hard to to come back from not only captaining France to a World Cup final defeat in agonising circumstances, but also then announcing his retirement from international football, which is a massive wrench for him. You know, he's France's uh, record caps holder. It's been a huge part of his career and life. So I think we do have to take those things into account. Um, but also Larissa how can I put this? He's the kind of guy that's got that supreme self-confidence. And I think that has got him to the top. You have to have that to be a top goalkeeper, but I don't think he's now or the either unwilling or kind of unable to sort of be turn his, his kind of introspect, you know, be introspective and, and and sort of be critical of his own form. So he, he was keen to sort of defend his performances against Arsenal and City, I think they were mistakes. Um, he sort of explained that he thought they were deflections and it was difficult for him, you know. So it, it was good that he fronted up. Um, but I think Conte has a decision to make now, right, about whether he might just need to give him a week off and take yeah. him out of the firing line, you know, take him out of Fulham and then you've got Preston, which he could reasonably drop for. And then he's had, you know, a, a couple of weeks off, maybe just to 
reset and refresh for the for the run in. I mean, I don't think that would be the worst idea. Um, he still is capable of making those saves that we know him for. We saw it last night in the first half, and we saw it against Arsenal. It's just the judgment and errors creeping into his game. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, like I say I just don't see how, like I say, he's had the most uh, most amount of errors apart. I think the most in the Premier League of a player. I just don't yeah. know how feasible that is to carry on and sustainable that is when we've got so many important games coming up for the football club and also for him as well. It can't be easy. A guy that's been so loved by the fan base, it can't be easy to see a, a, a turn now where people are demanding that he be out of the team. And I have to be honest to say that, you know, if we continue to play him, I am worried how many more points Spurs will drop. I mean, not being funny, I know and people are going to batter me in the chat, right? So crack on, uh, no problem. But Forster's got over 250 Premier League appearances, right? He he he's a good goalkeeper. But when you've got your top goalkeeper that's making some mistakes, it's not as if Forster is utter rubbish as well. Although he didn't, he wasn't brilliant, was he? Yeah, when he did play, but again, it's because of running games. Like the the the, the confidence that you have. Look, I am not trying to tell Antonio Conte far from it how to manage a football team and a, and a team environment. But I do manage teams, right? That's what I do. It's my job. I'm a CEO of a bloody business. I manage big teams. And sometimes you have to um, get everybody involved. He even said it in his press conference today. He said, you know, to get that kind of synergy back, um, you know, that excitement back with the group. Sometimes that is pulling Luis out, putting Forster in and saying, look, you, you're going to make an impact for us now, Fraser, because we need you and this is your time to shine. And there's nothing wrong with that. And he's he's not a rubbish goalkeeper. Like, he might come in and make horrendous mistakes. But you've just said he's, um, that six uh, six errors leading to, to goals from, from Lloris can't be as bad as that at the moment. And like you said, Dan, get him out of the firing line for a bit. You know, maybe Conte's reluctant to do that because he feels the squad depth isn't, isn't there. And it comes back to the whole... Has he been backed? Has he got the right squad depth? But yeah. you know, it, it's baffled me with the same thing with Emerson Royale. I mean, to be fair to Emerson, he has left him out a couple of times. He's now put him back in. He scored. So, you know, you, you've got to give credit where credit's due in, in that scenario. But there was times with Emerson getting absolutely slaughtered. And it was almost like, yeah, I'm still going to put him in. Yeah, I'm still going to put him just to make a point about Spence. So I don't know whether there's an undercurrent there. That's just maybe Antonio's style. But I don't think there's anything wrong with taking Lloris out for a couple of games and uh, you know and putting Forster in there. Yeah, I'm Lee, not let's Forster's replacement yeah. by the way. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely, Lee. Let's just close it uh, with you with regards to with regards to Harry. Now we're going to let Dan go. Um, yeah, Lee, want to close it with Harry and we'll let Dan go. Over yeah, I just uh, Dan, your, your your thoughts really on Harry? I mean, I'm absolutely convinced that he he done some sort of commitment to the club um, after the debacle of him wanting to leave. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very convinced of that, you know, from from, from information that, that I've had. Um, and I was also very convinced that he would sign another contract. Um, but I do believe, my, it's just my opinion, it's not inside information at all, but just my opinion is that the circumstances change in football very quickly. And with, with burning through yet another manager, I think we're going to also burn through Harry Kane. And I just wanted to see what your thought process on that, or if you're if you're hearing anything. Um, there was positive stuff when we were hitting top four in last season, and now it feels like to me that we've missed a boat. Yeah, I mean, I wrote a piece about this on Wednesday, uh, my column for the paper, um, kind of addressing it, and I said it was it was Tottenham's elephant in the room, um, and I think you know an elephant in, in the room is 
an awkward subject that no one really wants to talk about. And that is kind of how it feels for, as a journalist. You know, it's not a subject that the club want to engage in. Conte was asked about it uh, this week. He said he, he didn't want to talk about it. Um, I don't think there's, there's a great deal from, you know, Kane's camp uh, on this. So it's like no one's really talking about it. It's hard to know how Harry's feeling, but I think we can all make educated guesses, right? So it does feel like one of those issues that's just going to become more prominent as, as time goes on, really, as the season goes on, because, you know, my view is, and I wrote, you know, I encourage people to read the column for the full picture of what I think, but it's hard to imagine Kane rushing into signing a new deal now. Um, yeah. You know, why would he when there's so much uncertainty? And then, you know, he'll he'll want to see, I guess, um, how it looks in the summer and at the start of next season. But the club then has a decision to make because they do not want their most valuable asset entering the final year of his deal and potentially being able to walk away for nothing in summer 2024. Um, so it's a not you know it's potentially a really unenviable position for the club and Levy because they'll either have to take that risk or you know think about selling Kane um which would be you know I think gut-wrenching for most fans and and kind of really feel like the end of something you know I don't know whether the end of an era is the right phrase but just it would just feel like the death of something um I think given his significance over the last decade and what he means to the, the club and the fans and his, his quality, obviously. So, yeah, uh, it, 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 it feels like that's coming to a head for me. Um, I would be very surprised if he signed a new contract before the end of the season. Um, it would, I think it would take something um, pretty dramatic, like Spurs kind of winning the Champions League or, you know, all, all the form picking up dramatically. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that's just another kind of consideration for for everyone you know on the board when they're making their next move i think yeah, yeah. dan listen you're gonna give us an hour and a half of your time massively Top appreciate it dan just to obviously let everybody know where they can find your content what you provide to the spurs community <laughs> where, where uh, can we find the wonderful work you do yeah well i mean obviously in the paper you know if you're in london pick up the standard it is free um i write in there about spurs you know most days certainly before the day before uh, every match and the day after every match. Um, and then obviously I'm on Twitter at, at Dan underscore KP. Um, so yeah, don't abuse me, um, but come and engage with me. Sometimes and you've got to go with that, you? <laughs> I must say that again, listen, Dan's again, paid to have an opinion. And I, again, I have to say that, you know, again, he offers a, a, an opinion that I think is well worth, Taking well, well research, well, taking consideration of, you know, again, we have to appreciate the fact we've got journalists that's come on here, very high prominent journalist in Tottenham, giving us an hour and a half and leave his time. Dan, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate Cheers, it. Let's hope that uh, things ahead from Lee, from Dan, from myself, guys. Please, as always, keep safe, keep well. We'll be back with you very, weekend. very soon. Have a good weekend and come and you, Spurs. Thank you, guys. Sports Social Podcast Network.